That and, you know, you and I have always said that we don't want to judge non-Western films through the same lens that we do Western films. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Never fear change. Life is too short for fear. Chase what is desired. I can do this all day. Would you mind identifying what you are? We're the best friend squad. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Welcome to the rodeo. Ladies and gentlemen, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. This is the way. I have spoken. Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanti Show Torture Cinema. Welcome to the land of darkness, mystery, and power. <laughs> That's gonna be fucking so ridiculous. <laughs> I'm Sean. I'm Jen. And Jen's high for this episode. I am. On totally legal over a prescription medication. Yes. <laughs> so don't do drugs, folks. <laughs> Don't get poison ivy, folks. Just don't. This is bad. No, it's not fun. Bad. Jen's had a pretty rough week. Uh, but, you know, Jen is here. Jen's a trooper. And Jen is about to have a really wonderful, amazing experience that she may or may not remember in the future. So it should be fun. It's true. I may or may not remember it. So what movie are we here to talk about, Jen? We are here to talk about The Man Who Saved the World. AKA Turkish Star Wars. Yeah, and I tried to find a pronunciation in Turkish for this, but I couldn't find one that I could I could think I could reasonably say was accurate. And so there is a Turkish name for this, uh, but I, I can't I can't say it. And the translation is the man who saved the world. So that's what we're going with. Perfect. Did you know there's a sequel? Yes, I heard that there is the son of the man who saved the world. Here's the crazy thing about the sequel. They spent years trying to get the original actors to return for the movie. Uh, <laughs> but it had Turkish Ian McShane in it, and that's the only important part. So Turkish Ian McShane. Yeah. Well, perfect. So before we get into what we're drinking and then actually trying to summarize this movie... Oh, I got this summary. Uh, okay, Jen. But before we do that, I do want to mention that we have said that if we get reviews, we would read them. And we did, in fact, get a review at the beginning of May. And I've neglected to make sure that we do it on the episode. I don't recall who this person is, who in terms of our followers, but they will probably out themselves. But it's the, uh, a review by someone by the name of SEV, five-star review. Thank you so much, Essie. And the review says as follows... Fun and funny. This podcast always has something interesting to review or to talk about regarding all things sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and current real-world issues. That's a surprise for me, the real-world issues, but apparently we do that, Jen. <laughs> the hosts are delightful and amusing. Aw, thank you. Thank you. They'll have you laughing and nodding in agreement, especially when they rant. Aw, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> their chemistry is great, and so then is their banter, too. Aw, thanks. <laughs> Sound is perfect. Good job, Jen. Thank you. I've edited a few this year, but the quality of the show at this current point is is definitely up to Jen upping the standards. Aw, thank you. To both positive and detrimental effects. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, nothing ever sounds muffled or tinny. I assume most of the time. Occasionally we might have a guest 
where that's a little more difficult to get out. But, you know, appreciate that. Great way to pass the time with laughing, geeking, and learning. Oh, thank, thank you. you. That's also sweet. <laughs> no, really, I really appreciate it. I'm so glad that you enjoyed the show. And that's just lovely. Thank you, SEV. And, uh, you know, you get an A+. Plus. A+. Plus. Yeah. If you want to leave a review, you can leave it on iTunes. Uh, you can also let us know when you've left a review if you leave it somewhere else iTunes is just the easiest, but yeah, we'd love reviews. So, you know, toss a review on and we'll, we'll read it. Even stuff where you're critical. We'll, we'll do that too. I mean, unless you like write that you hope we die in a fire or something, we might still read that, but we'll laugh. Oh, I'll read that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, if you want to give us a review, that would be great. And we'll read it out on the podcast. All right. Let's get to what we're drinking. Perfect. Well, Jen, I've just talked a whole bunch. So what are you drinking? I am drinking homemade limeade. Non-alcoholic, correct? Yeah, no, I don't think alcohol is a really good plan right now for me, so... I think you're not supposed to have alcohol on, on what you're on. <laughs> well, I'm technically off what I'm on, and that's what makes this extra fun. Are you really? Yeah, <laughs> shocking. You sound high as fuck. I know, it's been really fun. <laughs> okay, well, okay, so you're drinking homemade limeade. Yes. Not bad. And I had a Sunday right before we started the podcast, so that was nice. Ah, so you're high on sugar. That's why you're sugar. You're so energetic, and yet also <laughs> not at the same time. <laughs> Indeed. What are you drinking? I will be drinking two beers today. Uh, I will be drinking the Shiner Ruby Redbird, which is a grapefruit, I guess like a grapefruit shandy kind of. It's got ginger and grapefruit. It's It's pretty good. And I will also then be drinking a Beaver Island Brewing's Tangerine American Wheat, which is also pretty good. Oh, you're done. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was going to wait another five minutes for you to finish talking about your beer. <laughs> you surprised me by finishing early. Well, I always finish quick, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> and that should basically tell you how this podcast is going to go this evening. So, <laughs> shall we do a summary? Well, you're going to do it, because who the fuck knows what this movie's about? Okay, so I'm going to give the summary that I developed while watching the movie, and I gave to you all in the Discord live chat. Do you remember when I did that? And I was like, I think I know what this movie's about. Sure. Okay, you don't remember, but that's okay, because I do. Or it wasn't so much a summary as an explanation of what the fuck was happening. So, this movie, and it starts with like a 10-minute freaking montage of the history of the galactic universe, by the way. A very quick, quick montage. <laughs> that somehow still lasts 10 minutes, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> you don't get any information from this montage, by the way. It's just somehow there. It's a thousand years of history, but crammed down into, like, 15 lines of dialogue. Right. And lots of, you know, footage from Star Wars in the process. It's yeah. great. So, this movie is about how over a thousand, thousand years ago, there was a galactic war. Okay. And the Earth as we know it was destroyed. And fragments, like, flew off into space or something like that. Humanity now lives on an Earth, but I don't think it's the Earth as we know it. It's just an Earth, and it looks suspiciously like the Death Star. So, 
That Earth is protected by human brain power. Don't know how? Don't really care. It just is. Except that they still need ships flying around and attacking bad guys because there's still bad guys trying to destroy this new Earth Death Star place protected by human brain power. Now, our heroes, Murat and Ali, are two of these pilots. And in the beginning, they successfully fend off some evil bad guy, who is the evil bad guy of the film, the emperor or something. I don't know what he's actually emperor of, though. He never actually says. He's just a 1,000-year-old space wizard. He's a 1,000-year-old space wizard. You know, like that they're just emperors of (laughs) space. So they successfully fend off an attack, uh, but then at the same time, they don't because they crash land on one of the shards, which just happens to be Egypt. At least it looks suspiciously like Egypt because we see the Sphinx and the pyramids. And this shard is populated by the 13th tribe. Which is very exciting in the world building of this film. Which I swear there is. Anyway, on this shard, where they've been basically crash-landed by the Emperor because he needs a human brain. Because a human brain is the only thing that will let him penetrate the defenses of the Death Star Earth. So he's deliberately, like, crash-landed them, somehow, onto this shard... But this shard of Earth also happens to be the location of the one thing that can defeat the Emperor, which is also the one thing that the Emperor needs to destroy the Earth Death Star. That's where things get a little bit wonky. So. (laughs) That's where things get wonky. (laughs) Yeah, totally. That right there. So, Murat and Ali have to, like, fight off the Emperor while falling in love with a woman who doesn't speak while also training maybe the local village people and getting into bar fights with strange monsters and almost getting seduced by the Empress and getting buried alive by the Emperor and all sorts of other things. That are somehow all so that the Emperor can get control of one of their brains so that he can destroy the Earth slash Death Star. This movie makes no sense. However, if you watch it while high enough, it might. Jen, I just want to note that what you said made more sense than the actual movie. I know! I I was reading... The plot synopsis on Wikipedia while you were telling me your plot. And I'm just going like, Jen's makes way more sense. Like if that was just the movie, like I think we would have been fine. Yeah, if that was the movie, I think it would have made sense. Unfortunately, like all of that is like scattered across two hours and the two hours take forever. Let me tell you. It's long. It's 90 minutes, 91 minutes, by the way. But in the end, somehow the, so the, the main thing is that the 13th tribe created a brain, a gold brain or bronze brain, bronze, maybe, and a bronze, it, who cares? A, a, a metal sword and a metal brain. A lightning. It's shaped like a lightning bolt. It's like a fucking anime sword. It is. It's, it's literally <laughs> an anime sword. It's amazing. It's a 
fucking ridiculous. But Murat, who is ostensibly, I don't know, like this movie's version of Luke or something, except... I think he's like Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, Jones, right, given the music choices. So so Turkish Ian McShane eventually gets control (laughs) and or finds both the, the brain and the sword, and he combines them, melts them together, and he makes himself fists and boots of doom through which he uses to defeat the evil emperor and then he leaves the shard and he goes back to death star earth and the end it's so so crazy it's so batshit y'all and (laughs) meanwhile like halfway through it there's some actually kind of interesting but totally nonsensical because i don't know enough about it there's some Islamic references because this is based in Turkey, which is a majority uh, Muslim country. And and I think that's part of the reason, actually, for the whole reference to the 13th tribe, because if anybody who's familiar with the 13th tribe is the book, the 13th tribe supposedly descended from the Turks, which is an interesting little factoid that I didn't know until today. So... Like, it has some, like, weird sort of interesting world building going on behind it, but ultimately makes literally no freaking sense. Yeah, so let me let me read, and then we'll get into our likes and dislikes, but let me read just a little bit of someone's attempt to describe this movie, just to explain just how confusing it is to watch this. And I will just read the first paragraph of the Wikipedia plot summary. It's something else. The film follows the adventures of Murat and Ali, whose spaceships crash on a desert planet following a battle shown by using footage from Star Wars as well as Soviet and American space program newsreel clips. While hiking across the desert, they speculate that the planet is inhabited only by women. Ali does his wolf whistle, which he uses on attractive women. However, he blows the wrong whistle and they are attacked by skeletons on horseback, which they defeat in hand-to-hand combat. Okay, so what what was interesting about that? Like, because I read that and I was like, I don't even remember like that that being the thing that caused the attack. So I don't know. I would not listen to Wikipedia. I would watch the movie because it makes so little sense. I think that is what happens because there's Maybe. like a whole thing that runs through this movie where Marat makes fun of Ali because. Murat, like, gets all the girls, and Ali wants to get all the girls, but he can never get the girls, and there's, like, a, a running joke about it. Like, I say joke with, with a lot of, of quotation marks around it, because I'm not sure they quite understand a joke. But the thing about this movie, and I'm sure we'll get into it in our, our dislikes, is that the second it starts to, like, settle in, you think, oh, it might, it might start to have coherence now. It'll just have, like, the most abrupt cut to something else. Literally, there were points where I blinked, and we were on an entirely new scene and plot line. Yeah, this is literally the cinematic version of the blink-and-you-miss-it town. Yeah, Yeah, it's fascinating. So, like, honestly, it's kind of weird for me to say this. I recommend watching it just once. I I think you have to, because... yeah. I don't know if there's any other experience quite like this in film. And I I think it deserves some credit for that because I think they were trying to make something. And while whatever was in their head probably sounded great, what came out was 
the most incoherent mess of references to other films and outright theft from other films yeah. that has ever been made. And that alone makes it kind of fascinating. Fascinating. Honestly. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's get to our, uh, do we want to do likes first? Likes. Let's go with our likes because dislikes are just going to be, whoo boy. <laughs> so what's your first like, Jen? So, actually, my first, like, I kind of mentioned, like, I actually appreciated seeing a film, uh, even a bad film, that was not reliant on the Christian ethos for its world building, and instead on the Islamic ethos. And even though it made no sense to me, I still found that really fascinating when they, like, started getting into it. And I wish I had more of a background in Islam and Turkish history and sort of Turkish culture, because I think a lot of what I was missing within the context of this film was based on that lack of knowledge. Even just in the, uh, the martial arts that are used within the film, they seemed very rooted in Turkish culture potentially i don't know for sure but it was an it was an interesting martial style that is highlighted constantly by the way in the film and i thought that was interesting not to mention sort of the why the brain why the sword how are these two things like the important things that this writer chose to focus on by the way turkish ian mcshane is also the writer so, you know, <laughs> it, it it makes me wonder because I, I had an interesting thing where I wrote a, a post just a little while ago about a, uh, a yukakaze, which is a Japanese anime. And I came uh, from a sort of Western perspective of trying to understand how it was treating AI. And someone had did a tweet thread in response to mine kind of providing the Japanese understanding, which is much more critical to the actual yukakaze because obviously it's in the Japanese context anyway. And it makes me wonder that because most of us don't know a whole lot about Turkey other than the fact that it's a country that exists in a part of the world and that we know, as Janet mentioned earlier, that it is predominantly a Muslim country, it, there there must be cultural context here that we can't get because we are not versed in Turkish culture or Muslim culture or Turkish Muslim culture or even more particularly Turkish culture in the 70s and 80s, because this comes out in 1982. Right. And is deeply influenced by, I think this would be my like, and I'll just throw it out there, which is I found the very overt and obvious uh, filmic references that it draws from really interesting. And they I don't mean were. the stuff that it steals. I mean the stuff where it's very clear they watched early Kung, uh, like 70s Kung Fu movies. Yeah. Because almost all of the fight scenes are like borrowing moves straight out of like uh, like Hong Kong style martial arts films. Sort of, but then they're also like, like, yes, it absolutely does. Like there's entire sequences where you're like, why are, do you have nunchaku in Turkey? But whatever. But at the same time, yep. like the the dominant style that is being used by Turkish Ian McShane is like this very, it, to me, it felt very Greco-Roman. And I think that's probably appropriate for Turkey, but I couldn't be sure. And I tried to look up like Turkish martial arts to get a better idea of what type of martial arts were kind of 
culturally specific, and I couldn't really find any information, but it is this really interesting style, and, like, there's a training sequence, and, like, the training sequence for all of being, like, weirdly extended for no reason is actually, like, an interesting look at the style that is being used by these two men, and it involves beating up rocks. I feel really bad for the rocks, granted, and lots of jumping, so... I just want to note here that uh, I am almost certain that all, almost all of their major fight scenes are, are borrowing heavily from Hong Kong action cinema. Okay. Because there may obviously be, like, Turkish aspects that they're bringing in, I don't know. Uh, there's hardly any information about the, the people behind this. So maybe they were in the Turkish military and had some military training right. or some other thing. Maybe. But when I think back to a lot of the stuff I was watching from Hong Kong action cinema uh, and Chinese action cinema in general from that was from that period, a lot of the movesets they're using are clearly cribbed from that. Like they're borrowing a lot of the, the fluid motions and the blocking motions, a lot of the hits and things like that. They're doing their own versions of those things at times, but it's it's it, it borrows pretty heavily. And and I love it. I actually adore it because I will say this, there there was a craze in the 80s especially of American specifically white American people making martial arts films that were clearly indebted to Chinese uh, kung fu films. <laughs> and those films are by, you know, frequently are made by people who have zero martial arts training. And so they're trying, they're like borrowing all of like the tone, but they don't, they don't understand any of the actual movement. This I felt like, I don't know what they were doing in the sense, like what training they had before this, but it was very clear, like they, they like really were into it. Uh, and they really put an effort into trying to make these seem like really fluid action fight scenes. They're ridiculous, and they go on for 640 hours. But <laughs> there's like there's a clear sense that they really tried to think about what they were doing, and like we need to have this be this. It wasn't like going back to like early Flash Gordon, where like he just it he like they just throw each other around yeah. for like three minutes. Well, and that where as Flash Gordon is like super indebted to wrestling as a form of martial arts. This one is is something different and and I wish I knew sort of what it was. But yeah, I agree that the scenes are very indebted to sort of the uh, the action films specifically coming out of Hong Kong at the time. Yeah. Like for as much as it's stealing directly from western sources, like obviously we have Flash Gordon, Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Indiana Jones in like a complete lift of the John Williams score and numerous other things that like I didn't even necessarily catch, you know, while watching the movie, but apparently they did. Like it steals from all of those things directly to add to, to basically to give it the visual effects and the music sometimes almost successfully, oddly enough, it's not necessarily borrowing those stories, right? Like, and that's no. where I found, like, the Muslim influence to the to the world building really fascinating. And I wish I, I knew more is basically what I came away with. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel similar in a way, but about a different subject of, like, that feeling of wanting to know more. Because... Like there was, there's just a lot of questions I have about th this film's ridiculous. It's it 
borrows explicitly, like steals entire sequences from Star Wars. It borrows from all kinds of stuff. I mean, the Indiana Raiders theme plays over and over and over and over repeatedly. Uh, there's a, a moment when essentially the Millennium Falcon shows up. They steal scenes from Star Wars from the Mos Eisley Cantina. They, like, there's lots of that very deliberate theft. But like, I was wondering, it's like, well, why? What was leading them to say, well, we're just going to borrow these things? Was it like this was being done as like an early form of what we might think of as the fan film, which is like what an anime might be known as like an anime music video where they they take bits from an anime and make a new product out of it, usually with a soundtrack. And maybe this is like a Turkish version of something like that. Or is it that they were like, well, the Turkish film industry can't do what they did. So we'll just take it and do what we can to fill in the gaps. I mean, like, that's what I suspected upon watching because only because it's so divorced from the original it's divorced from the original stories, right? Like, the footage... Absolutely. I mean, like, you look at what happened with the Star Wars footage, right? They're literally the Empire, except that they're fighting the Emperor, right? So, right. Yeah. like, those kind of, like, weird anachronisms within the film were interesting to see from, like, a sort of scholarly, like, why would they have chosen to be the Empire? But then yeah. you realize, like, it really is just kind of divorced from the original films. Yeah. It's, like, ironic, but at the same right. time, like, because it's it, it has no relationship other than visual. Exactly. And yeah. even, like, the, the Indiana Jones music, it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not even working quite the same way. But it was kind of... No, it kind of makes some of the fight scenes silly. Yeah. Because it'll play when they're like, ah, like, hata, and they'll get it. And it. Like, in a lot of cases, like the Indiana Jones, that theme will play either in flurries in the middle of a fight scene or towards the end when he finally escapes. And they'll just have it like, no, 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 like in the middle of the fight scene, like, yeah, we're going to play this over and over for three minutes. <laughs> and I think they had different themes because Turkish uh, Ian McShane was the one that got the, the Raiders theme. And right. I think Ali got the Flash theme more often. Flash. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> which, which was a lot of fun. And then obviously the Emperor like bore a startling resemblance to Merciless Ming from Flash Gordon. So it it was... It was it's different. It's... It's so interesting. Like, this is the kind of film where it's, I get that it has a cult following, but because it's so kind of underground in a way, it makes me a little sad because they're, this is one of those moments when, like, the the bad cinema crowd, like, desperately needs, like, this could just be a whole book. Like, you could write an entire book about the production of this, but because For of, sure. like, especially in the West, like, our aversion as a culture to what we consider to be the bad, terrible movie like with that, it becomes very difficult to actually manage. And it's super frustrating because there's so much here. Like, I would love, I don't know if the guys are still alive or if we could even communicate, but like, I would love to sit down with these guys and just ask like an absolute metric fuck ton actual weight of questions. For absolutely 100% sure. That would be really interesting. There's a cultural history too. Yeah, like, there's so Star much. Wars must have been been one of the biggest films in Turkey from the West in terms of science fiction. It must have been. Yeah. Because otherwise, why would this be the film that they would borrow from? Like, what else would... Th- was this the only thing? 
Or was it just that Star Wars was such a big phenomenon that it was even big in Turkey? I don't know. So what's interesting is, like, obviously I have not been able to speak to a Turkish uh, translator about the translations in this film. But apparently there was a troupe that does, like, that acts out bad cinema, right, in Texas. And I can't remember the name right now, but... It's like Foley Vision or something? Yeah, something like that. And they apparently... Their translator basically said it does not make any more sense in Turkish, which I found to be a really interesting statement in general. (laughs) But again, I think we're losing something in being now 40 years divorced from, you know, when this movie was made and the cultural sort of environment that was happening in Turkey at the time, because I, I just feel like there like he intended so much more and oddly enough i find myself really curious about those intentions this is the f- uh, one of the first times i think we both agree this movie's not good oh it's terrible it it's absolutely bananas just ridiculous but yet we're both kind of in this like but i still want to know more <laughs> Like, that's the first, I think, in torture cinema history, right? We're having a lot of firsts in 2020 because we've had, uh, you and I at least together, have had one film where we absolutely adored it, yes. which was Voyage of the Rock Aliens, yes. and I had The Dragonheart, which was another, right? Films that people say are terrible, but which we found deeply enjoyable. And now we're at this film, which people will say is just absolute garbage and it makes no sense. And we're saying, yeah, it doesn't, but we're still super interested in it. (laughs) I think we're coming at these films with a lot less cynicism than we did last year. And because we're, we're using it as part of our escape from like everything else that, and (laughs) you know, you and I have always said that we don't want to judge non-Western films through the same lens that we do Western films. Because one, we have more context when it comes to those Western films. And two, like, we're we're not assholes. We're not going to, like, make fun of an entire culture just because they produced a bad movie sort of thing. Or I would say the third would be, for me, I, I, don't, I think it doesn't apply to you, but for me, it is that uh, some film industries haven't quite got the resources that right. Western or Japanese cinema or Chinese cinema today has. Right. And I think it's unfair to look at them and say, I should expect Avengers. Right. When they do not have the technology or the systems in place to get there. Exactly. And I yeah. think I think that's part of the reason that But even then, like, I'm still curious about this movie. Like, even if I were looking at this as, oh, my God, this is a bad, terrible, what were they thinking? The everything is is the worst sort of production. There's still enough here in this movie that would make an interesting thesis paper if, you know, one one wanted to. But uh, are we done with our likes? I think we've kind of mined this because there's just... There's a weird sense that we we both kind of like it. A sort in a of. Weird, in a way that's <laughs> not the same as saying, like, I definitely want to keep watching it over and over. No. But in a, in a, in a fascination sense. Yeah. And I think that kind of gets to where we are. We could also have a mo- moment for all of what to us feels like anime references, even though I'm not sure if that would have been a thing. But, like, the sort is... It's like something straight out of an anime. And there are moments in here where I'm just like, well, that's just Dragon Ball. (laughs) Even though I think Dragon Ball comes out later. But yeah, there's just a lot here. So I think we can get to what is the next piece, Jen. Something that you promised everybody 
we could do. Yeah. And you better make it quick because I had a very strict guideline for this happening. So let's do it. Well, look, I'm just going to say this, Jen. I tried, but I needed it to be coherent enough. Okay. <laughs> just remember, I am the narrator. I know you're the narrator. Okay, That's the whole point. Okay. That's the point. Okay. Ready? <laughs> The Skiffy and Fanty Show presents a Mustache and the Mutt Adventure! The Battle Against the 1,000-Year-Old Space Wizard, Part 1. Starring Sean as Sean Connery, Sean as Charlie, Sean as Murat, and then Jen as the dirty, mature woman, Jacob, Ali, and me, the narrator. Scene 1. The totally not confusing return. Holy fuck, we're doing this again. I'm honestly completely shocked that Jen let Sean write another skit in this banana cinematic universe of his. But here we are. If you recall our skit in Highlander 2, we mentioned a lot of unanswered questions about so many of our classic characters, most of whom appear in this episode. And while I'd love to tell you that this skit will give you the answers you've waited literal years for, the truth is that I've completely forgotten where we were, and we'll have to spend part of this summer listening to every skit we've ever made, just so I know what the fuck is going on. With that in mind, maybe this tale of the mustache and the mutt will add something new. Or maybe it'll be even more confusing shit that Sean will have to explain when he decides to write a skit well enough in advance of this episode we're recording. I was totally on time. Shut up, Duke. Anyway, our story begins in 1981. Murat, a disgruntled Turkish space ranger, and his best friend Ali, a totally hip DJ, find themselves trapped on the planet Earth after being shot down by a 1,000-year-old space wizard. Lol what? Determined to escape the confines of the Earth's human brain molecule influence gravity well, they hatch a dastardly plot to film a total ripoff of Star Wars. Little do they know, doing so will wash away the human brain molecule gravity and cause the Earth to explode in a firework display of lightning, magically oversized swords, and ninjas. The human brain molecule influenced gravity while it's holding us back, Ali. We must escape. Absolutely. We must find the 13th clan inside a melted mountain thousands of space years ago and use the great camera of the space wizards to film our movie. Precisely, my good friend Ali. Doing so will first totally convoluted and nonsensical reasons allow us to go back into space where we can defeat the evil 1,000-year-old and totally weird space wizard that lives inside a giant space peach. Murat, buddy. Yeah? Do you ever get the idea when we talk we make absolutely no sense? That's ridiculous. To the Turkish Batmobile. Scene 2. Mustaches, Mutts, and Pecs. Meanwhile, in an abandoned wheat silo, the Mustache and the Mutt, a.k.a. Charlie and Jacob from Twilight, discover the dastardly plot and realize that only they can brave the wilderness of confusing timelines to stop the Turkish fiends from destroying the world. All right, Jacob, got any threes? <laughs> I got two. I was asking for threes. Yeah, but like, my sexy mandibles make for two. <laughs> Seriously, Jacob, do you have to do that here? What? Constantly take your shirt off and shove your pecs together like a pair of boobs? It's either that or actually try to solve a crime like we're paid to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Holy fucking shit, I said you were going to stop this dastardly plot. You already know where to find a time machine, so get the fuck up. Wait, what the hell was that? (laughs) Yeah, did, like, the sky just talk to us? Oh my god, is this what we've come to? What? This. We've come to a completely nonsensical timeline that you can't possibly complete in the time Jen gave you. I'll finish this story in another episode. Could you please just finish one storyline? Yeah, fine. Thank you. Is there any more? Yep. Fuck. Scene three, Romancing the Stars. Meanwhile, to the meanwhile, the dirty mature woman, formerly the dirty old lady, and Sean Connery meet in a diner to discuss how best to finance Turkish Star Wars and its sequel, Turks in Space. Why? We're about to find out. Now, dearie. How many times have I told you that we're supposed to use our retirement money for cruises for expert practitioners of the French Twizzler? Of course, ever since that wombat bit me you-know-where, I've been thinking that maybe we could take our villainy and strangeness to new heights. Oh, that was just a love nip. It's just a little nibble. It's kind of erotic. I prefer it if you nibble me. Now, now, uh, what's this plan of yours? If we take our life savings and fund this Turkish Star Wars movie, Murat and Ali say they'll take us with them. To the stars? Precisely. And what, pray tell, would we do in space, my dear? Something naughty. Perhaps we can find new activities to perform together. Perhaps new tools for our adventures. (laughs) Sexy tools. Mm, I'm in. But make sure to pack the power drill! I love it when you talk dirty. Tune in next time for the thrilling continuation of the mustache and the mutt in the battle against the 1,000-year-old space wizard. Will Murat and Ali complete their movie? Will they have help from our two dirtiest characters ever? Will Charlie and Jacob ever stop playing cards and talking about packs and actually leave that grain silo to solve this mystery? I have no fucking idea. But since Jen signed off on these goddamn skits... We're gonna find out. Hip, hip, hooray. And scene. So you kind of missed it. Come on. I did a little (laughs) tiny bit. It was fun, right? (laughs) I've always loved being the narrator, I have to admit. I write that just for you. (laughs) I know you do. All right. Shall we get into our dislikes? Yeah. Well, what are we going to dislike about this, Jen? I actually don't really know, except that I'm going to go with the jumping. (laughs) There's so much jumping. So much jumping. Like, honestly, people, it's like watching an Olympic trampoline routine. Except without being able to see the trampoline. So it's just like leaping everywhere. And this is part of the strange martial arts that we referred to earlier somehow. Like that training sequence where he beats up the rocks, poor rocks, he literally is leaping everywhere. But it's like all off of springboards, I think, possibly trampolines. I'm not actually completely sure because at least it's a... You know, all of the shots are from angled from the bottom, so we we only see him leaping over us constantly. I am, like, 
If this was a drinking game, you would be dead by the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, you can't select jumping as the thing that you use for when you take a shot. Can't do it. No. No, you can't. Like, literally dead. Uh, Probably within the first, okay, the first hour. Yeah, 100%. It's it's like taking a shot every time Trump lies. It's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing, except, I mean, it's slightly more amusing. So there's that. (laughs) There's that, yeah. Uh, it's kind of weird and i'm not really sure why they chose it as like the thing because it's like his action move it's like and he jumps just because it's all the time it's so strange and it's it's not that he just does it constantly it's that it's the shot that the the way that it works, the shots and everything. It's just him literally bouncing off a trampoline over the camera, like over and over and over, over and over again. It. And it's <laughs> it's far less interesting than literally any other fight stuff it that is. they have, because all he's doing is jumping. And then, like, I guess occasionally, like sometimes he just jumps over people repeatedly. Yeah, no, and and there's some flips in there, which are at least make it a little bit interesting. Requires effort. (laughs) Yeah, but for the most part, it's just like a jump. There's nothing going on. It's just him getting from point A to point B and for no reason. And this happens a thousand times. It's, It's a lot. It's a lot with, of course, the Indiana Jones theme song going on in the background. <laughs> da, 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 so it's dun 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 jump, dun 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 jump, 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 jump. As you have said, like there are other way more interesting things going on in the fights. Like if this was replaced with him karate chopping people literally in half. Right? That's right, he does. He cuts people in half. (laughs) That's how he defeats the evil thousand-year-old space wizard emperor is by literally karate chopping him in half. But he also, like, removes body parts and then... (laughs) And then beats people with them. And it's awesome. And I wish there was more of that and less of the jumping. I remember when we got to that part. He's just literally like ripping heads off of these like monster things that work for the emperor. And like jumping at them and ripping their arms off. And he like beats one with a leg. And like it's it's ridiculous, but it's kind of enjoyable because it's just (laughs) so silly. You don't expect it at all. Like first off. First off, you don't expect the arm to come off or the leg to come off. And you're like, wait a minute. Did he just like literally karate chop that person's like leg off? Yes. Yes, he did. If you were wondering, yes, he did. And then you turn around and suddenly he's using that body part to karate chop somehow another person in half. And it's amazing. So, you know, more of that, less jumping. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think in general, we could say that a lot of the fight scene in this movie are excessively long. Excessively. The jumping scenes are just the worst because very little is actually happening. I feel like they're trying to convey that he has superpowers, but like, when you watch it, you're just like, dude, you're just... You're jumping like three You're feet just jumping. off the ground. Yeah, like, like come whatever. On. No, no. And he doesn't get superpower. That's what's hilarious. 
Like, he doesn't actually get any, like, superpower type stuff until he melts down the brain of the sword into his, like, boots and fists of doom. Which, by the way, he just forms by literally sticking his feet and his hands into, like, the molten metal, which is kind of impressive. But he, like, doesn't need those things to, like, you know, chop people into pieces. No. No. Like, he's got that on his own. There's a lot of fighting in this in general. Like, they get in, and sometimes, like, you're just not sure why they're in a fight. No. Like, the very beginning, when I read the wiki synopsis, I was like, wait, is that the reason why they got into that first fight? I still don't know, to be honest. I still don't know. They just, like, were there, and they're like, I guess we're gonna have to fight. And you're like, but why? They just seem like nice people. They're just standing there. Why do you have to fight them, Marat? Why? Right. By the way, the creatures in this are, like, super banana pants. (laughs) They're so dumb. (laughs) They are so dumb and but it like it oddly has that sort of feel of um tokusatsu films from japan so that part of like partially kind of made it interesting to watch the creature designs but they're 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 bizarre and there's some very not tasteful verging on offensively racist masks in this film too so like there's that aspect there's that too but for the most part, the creatures are just like, what am I even looking at right now? I don't know. <laughs> it, that's true of a lot of stuff in this. Like, even the, the main villain is basically just like the discount pinhead from Hellraiser. Yes. Because he just has these spikes out of his head. And it it's super confusing because he never uses them for anything. They're just there. He's not even that, like, threatening. Like, the worst thing he can do to them is he buries them alive. Yeah, and they, and they, so they get buried alive. And I didn't even know what was fucking happening. They were just like, we're gonna, uh, I guess, putting you in these pits. And, and I think, Jen, you had to tell me they're getting buried alive or something. Yeah, they were getting buried alive to prove that they were human. Right. And then, but then, so then they wake and they just, like, they get like a foot of dirt up and then they go, oh, look, I'm out. And <laughs> what if they, so does that mean they're not human? Because that they no, were. No, that means that they, they were human because they survived getting buried alive because it means that they can use their brain power to live and don't need air. What? What the fuck? What I think the that's fuck? what happened. <laughs> I mean, that's like the whole oh wizards. I, I have to like kind of give you this sort of update because. The wizard's plan is, like, really bizarre. Like, this is where, like, the plotline gets super wacky because there's things that are both good for the wizard and bad for the wizard that are the same things. And it makes no sense. Like, literally, he wants a human brain, but the fact that they are human is, like, I don't know why he tested them in the first place because... He didn't really need to because he knew they were human, but also he needed to know for sure that they were human. But then he can't just take their brain out of their head. He has to, like, harness the brain power so that he can be immortal. But at the same time, he could just keep, like, using children's blood to be immortal, which is what they show earlier. So I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, clearly they they saw Star Wars, but they must have had, like, a weird translation. And they went... Oh, so the force is just like human brain power. And if you just take human brains, that's how you get the force. Except that it can protect entire planets. Except that yeah, it can protect entire planets and has... I, what is happening? What is happening? What is happening in this movie? 
And oh, by the way, I'm pretty sure that this this movie and the Emperor is where we got Stargate from, like the original movie. So <laughs> that's your head cannon. Yeah, yeah, that's my head cannon. I can one hundred percent. That's exactly what he's doing. No, well, maybe. Well, okay. Well, in, in in relation to this, or not relation, because my I have to get my dislike out. Yes. Uh, my dislike is shockingly pretty simple, and it is that. For all the banana pants things in this film, from its deliberate lifting from several films, mostly Star Wars, uh, its pirating of music from mostly John Williams, uh, I, I should say he, mostly just one song from John Williams, because mostly, uh, Raiders, yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark plays repeatedly. You know, uh, those things, I could see why people don't like those, but they didn't bother me that much, except that Raiders of the Lost Ark plays entirely too many times. The thing that I think bugged me the most about this was that there was no sense of coherence in any of the filming at all. I mean, there are moments in this film where, like, you're literally in the middle of of a conversation, and then it will cut to an entirely different scene with the same characters, and they're doing something completely different that has nothing to do with the previous conversation. Yes, sometimes they're just flaring their nostrils. Oh my god, and the staring thing. Oh, I forgot about the staring thing. Oh, Jen, why? Well, I mean, like, the staring thing actually had a purpose, sort of. Like, there, it <laughs> is explained. It. It, it's explained, but it's still awful. There's a whole scene in this where, like, he, he smashes a rock, and then it, like, zooms in on him, flaring his <laughs> oh, nostrils for, yeah. like, a full fucking minute. It just has him staring at her with this weird kind of grin while he flares his nostrils. And, like, the entire time... This happens over and over. There are tons of these moments where he just stares at a woman. And my the entire time I'm thinking, is this, this, is this the, Mur the guy who played Murat thinks is that like what works on turkish women is it like you just stare you just like flare your nostrils and you stare awkwardly from a distance look i i'm not gonna judge turkish ian mcshane has pretty impressive nostrils so okay they're maybe? impressive nostrils but it's a lot of staring jen it is it is and that's how they lot. communicate for most of this movie because the we learn eventually that the woman he's a usri or i think is her name she's mute but she eventually does talk it's never fully explained why she didn't talk no no it's it's completely explained you is it that <laughs> yeah she stopped talking because she's the one that knew the secret of the location of the sword in the brain oh so obviously fuck off. she had to be she couldn't speak <laughs> why, why can't she speak anything reason. else I she don't, could... <laughs> it was like a vow she made to god just just vow not to talk about the sword in the brain and just be like, but also I could totally like have a conversation with a dude over dinner. Like, <laughs> it makes no sense. It, whatever. It doesn't matter. But he just stares at her so many times. And this happens over and over. And that combined with the the shot composition where scenes end seemingly at random. There are no connections between numbers of scenes. So it'd be a fight scene with no explanation for how we got there, which is like, suddenly they're fighting. Uh, this is like the, the deepest problem with the whole movie because it just isn't coherent as a film. <laughs> it wants to be all the things, but it doesn't know how to do any one of those things well. No. And that's a problem. We're still not sure why there's an entire, like, the cantina scene. I'm still not sure why that even exists at all. 
it, like he, they go there and it's clearly Mos Eisley Cantina. Like they're borrowing from Star Wars, like the interior, they clearly are trying to make it Star Wars, but like discount because they didn't have the same stuff. And they're there and then they like get into a fight and then the Emperor shows up. Yep. But why did they go to the cantina in the first place? Like they, they don't even explain that part. Like was it alcohol banned? I don't know. I mean, but I am with you 100%. This movie is utterly incoherent from start to finish. The fact that I have been able to translate, I am basically the Turkish Star Wars translator, (laughs) (laughs) is entirely owing to the fact that my brain works about as well as this movie does, which is not at all. Look, this is a film, we're getting to that point where we're just going to have to grade this, but... uh, This is a film that I think everybody should see just so you can, uh, like when you sit at home and you're like, oh, I saw this movie and it was so shit. And it's like, oh, I didn't like the Ghostbusters with women. It was so shit. And I was like, watch Turkish Star Wars and come back. Because I I feel like people need a sense of scale of of terrible. (laughs) And I think in the process of doing this show, we've imperfectly developed a sense of the scale of terrible yeah. that doesn't mean we're always nice in our grades but we we certainly have a sense that like there are films that while they're not the greatest things since sliced bread they're perfectly competent okay films they're fun to watch they they get their point across they they work and then there are films that are just like turkish star wars like turkish star wars <laughs> where if it was made in the west you would assume that the person directing the film and editing it was absolutely on every psychedelic drug available at the time in 1982. I think you can assume that even not made in the West, to be perfectly honest. I don't think so, because I think it, I think in Turkey, I think because of the culture there that, I mean, and again, this is something I need to look up, but my, my guess is that their response to drug culture was going to be different than the U.S. one. Okay, yep, <laughs> never mind, but you still think that whoever was editing this was not having some sort of issues. Well, maybe they look, this could be one of those things where the person who edited this had never edited a movie in their entire life and like got roped into it by the guy who played Murat. Like that that seems to me to be the most likely uh thing that happened here is most of the people making this knew n- nothing about making film and made it up as they went along. I don't grant that level of kindness to U.S. cinema made after 1920. I just can't. Fair enough. Okay, so uh, now we are going to do our irregular segment called What Would Paul Like? I think he'd like the scenery. I Clearly, he would love the scenery. Well, because there's a, there's the pyramids, right? The pyramids of Giza are here. The Sphinx is here. No, 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 no. Okay, I mean, like, yes, he would probably also like that. Not, uh, but you know, no, he would genuinely like the filming location of this film. Absolutely, it's it's gorgeous. Like, I think they're using some of the the cave dwellings that are in Turkey for the filming location. It is actually a beautiful scenery when they're actually filming scenes as opposed to stealing them. But I was going to go with the rocks. I think I think he would just like the rocks. And I'm pretty sure he feels <laughs> really, really bad for the rocks when they keep getting abused by Turkish Ian McShane. Well, the fun part about that is we actually talked, Jen and I did, 
talked to the International Rock Guild, which is a union for rocks, uh, about their presence in the film. And it turns out that a number of rocks were abused in the making of this film, uh, harmed specifically. And uh, those were not, you know, fake rocks that were used. They used real rocks and did, in fact, crack them. Uh, since then, there's been new film standards internationally that say that you need to use mockery rocks in order to actually film these sequences, uh, because rocks are, you know, sensitive beings, and they deserve to not be cut up by random Turkish guys pretending to be the space version of Indiana Jones. Exactly. So please support your local rock union. Yep, there's one in every city, because <laughs> there are rocks everywhere. Rocks! <laughs> everywhere all right grades all final right. thoughts why don't you go first well uh so final thoughts on this are look it's not great it is not competently made it is in many ways a pretty awful film it is just not well done uh it lifts heavily from other people's cinema it makes no sense and so for that reason, like, while I'm being a little bit lenient on it in the sense that I recognize that there's probably a skills gap here because uh, that there wasn't the quite the, the film industry as there is now in Turkey, uh, I, I can only be so lenient because it is it's a it's one of those films that just doesn't make any sense and repeatedly tries to make sure that you can't understand it as you watch it. So it's sort of like, I like to think of, um, do you remember that movie uh, Fantasia? I mean, yes. Okay, well, when I was a kid, I used to believe that Fantasia was a magical VHS tape because every time I watched it, there was a new sequence I'd never seen. <laughs> and so I kept thinking that every time you watched it, you got a different version of Fantasia, like as a kid. And this film is that, but the dark version of that. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. so for that reason i give it an f plus I, th I think that's a completely fair grade all right i agree with everything that you just said and i really don't think that there's anything to add to that actually no i'm gonna say one tiny thing which is this grade is a reflection of the movie not necessarily my enjoyment of it right because it wasn't exactly enjoyable and yet <laughs> So I'm going to give it a D minus. No, actually, no, it's just getting an F. This is an utter failure of a film as a film. But that said, I would, whereas I've given a lot of films Fs and been like, never watch this movie. My God, just don't. This one is like, you know what? As a sort of like interesting cult film and sort of cultural marker of I don't know what, watch it. It's interesting. If it was on the tube, I would watch it. I don't know if I would, but at the same time, I think people should see it. I agree. It's on YouTube. There are a couple yes. different versions of it uh, in terms of translations of it. There's the, it's like an, I think we, you want the one that's closer to the 90 minutes because there's a shorter version you don't want. That movie was only 90 minutes? Yep. Are you sure? Yep. God. It feels like 64 hours. It really does. Like... We got to the, like the 40 minute mark and we were like, whoa. A lot that happens. Was a lot. Like nine <laughs> different movies are in this one movie. 
It's true. It's 100% true. Like, that's the part that makes it feel like it's so long as you're like, oh, wow, like, they've done like three movies worth already. Like, surely this movie's almost over. And then you're like, wait, that was 15 minutes. What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing how they could do that. Because some films, it's like, oh, this is so boring. And I can't stand it. This film is like, it's not boring. It's like, we're like laughing and going, what the hell is happening? But it it feels like forever. Whereas with a boring film, you're like, please just just end end this existence. You didn't have time to get bored in this because literally, if you blinked, something else was happening. So right. you had to pay attention because otherwise you had to. It was almost exhausting <laughs> to watch this. I'm it, not it even kind joking. Of is. <laughs> it is kind of exhausting. This movie's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. It took me so much brain power to figure out what was happening. I can't even tell you. Like, the fact that I have almost a legit explanation for what happened in this movie is entirely because I could not look away without missing something. Major, by the way. <laughs> like, you're not missing minor pieces to the story. You're missing major plot points. Yeah. Because there's 20 different plots all combined. Yeah, you basically need to be strapped into a chair and have your yes. eyelids pried open and have like like your husband or friend put little eye droplets in there to make sure your eyes don't dry out. Because if you blink, you miss something major. Every major. minute of this is a major <laughs> contribution to the overall <laughs> film. And that is something you will never see in anything else we've ever done for torture. Nope. This is the first film where you can't miss a minute of it. I won't say that you'll make it'll make sense at the end, <laughs> but it'll make even less sense if you miss major details. I can tell you I missed some things because I couldn't that the uh the subtitles are quick. Like you gotta really read quick. Like you should probably watch this on like like 0.75 speed because <laughs> holy moly, they go quick. But oh. If yeah. you miss anything, like I'll, like I'll, later on, you'll just be like, wait, I'm sorry, what is happening? And and literally someone would say, oh, no, that was when this happened. I was like, holy shit, I missed a subtitle for that. Like, what's, oh, yeah. So watch it. Go watch it. It's on YouTube. Look, just uh, go on there and look up Turkish Star Wars. It's there. You can watch it. There are a lot of bootleg versions of it that you can get on DVD and stuff. Uh, it's probably not legally available anywhere, even though I think Disney should get the stick out of its ass and just put it up on their streaming service. <laughs> I honestly think they should just make a deal and just do it and just be done they with it. They really, really should. Well, okay. We got to kind of close this out. So as always, if you have seen this movie, please let us know your thoughts. You can do that skiffyandfanny at gmail.com or at skiffyandfanny on Twitter or facebook.com slash skiffyandfanny. We're also on YouTube where our podcasts are also being released in a sort of a semi-video format at youtube.com slash skiffyandfanty. This may be my effort to learn video editing well enough that we might be able to do the booktube again. Uh, So cross your fingers that I get decent with it. And uh, you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Infanti. And please do join us on Twitter especially because we're doing the audience assemble stuff where we're trying to get more interaction with you. So if you enjoy Torture Cinema or some of the other episode stuff there, we're doing open calls to get your input so that we can talk about them. So uh, our next Torture Cinema will be asking about your likes and dislikes so that we can share some of those for the podcast. And in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at loopdeloo. And me at Sean Duke with a U. And I guess that takes us to the end. Yeah, but you know, Jen, given that you really were kind to me and let us have 
a skit for the first time in a while, like first time in years. I just really, really want to say that that made my nipples hard. I bet it did. And on that note, awkward ending and scene. Bye. (laughs) Made my nipples hard. If you would like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty. You can also find us on our website, skiffyandfanty.com, and on Twitter at skiffyandfanty. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com. The music for this episode comes from Sphere by Creo. You can find out more about their music at freemusicarchive.org.